Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 270 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Stopping Lyme, an interview with Kayla Stevens. My name is Kelsey Watkins. And I'm Matt Sabatello. In this episode, you're going to learn so much about what Kayla Stevens did after being misdiagnosed and ultimately finding a homeopathic treatment that helped her improve tremendously. Without further ado, Stopping Lyme with Kayla Stevens. Kayla Stevens, welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. We're so excited to be speaking with you today. I'm so excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Where did you grow up? Where are you currently living? And what do you do for a living? Yeah, so I grew up in Western Massachusetts. um, And then I went to college in Maine and I lived there for five years total. And now I'm living in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, For work, I just recently finished my master's in health administration last year. So I'm working um, in the healthcare field remotely. I can work from home, which is good. Um, But I'm also in the process of getting my IHP, which is my uh, integrative. I'm going to be an integrative health practitioner, hopefully soon. So a lot of things going on. Well, that's very exciting. Um, So take us back a little bit prior to you getting sick with Lyme disease and co-infections. What were your dreams and goals in life? What were your aspirations? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, I loved to travel. That was probably my favorite thing in the world. Um, I would consider myself a kind of well-seasoned traveler. So I was doing a lot of that. I was always on the go. I was very, living a very on the go lifestyle. Um, I was kind of known as like the party girl of like different friend groups. Like I was always, I was always down to do something, always looking for an adventure, looking for fun. So before I got sick, that was, I was also really young. I was in my early twenties still. So, you know, that's just kind of the lifestyle I was living back then. Right. So when you were traveling around, were you aware of ticks? I was because of where I grew up and where I went to college. It was, you know, ticks were not unheard of. Um, I will say I've only seen one once in my entire life and it was when I was really little. So just goes to show you don't always see them, but, um, I will say I did fall for the trap of they don't have ticks in other countries or regions of the United States. So growing up in New England, I knew of them and I knew how to be aware of them, but I just never saw them. So I didn't even think twice about it, honestly. Right. So ultimately, when did your initial symptoms begin Um, and explain to us how they developed over time? Yeah. So they began when... um, I'll take you through the whole process of what happened. I was out at a bar um, in June of 2020, an outdoor bar uh, with my boyfriend and I came home and I noticed I had a mosquito bite. I thought it was a mosquito bite, like it was itchy and all that. So thought nothing of it, woke up the next day with what I didn't know at the time was a bullseye rash. So again, grew up in New England, but didn't even think twice about it being in Georgia. Um, I had the bullseye rash, but I thought it was a spider bite. Cause that just seemed more realistic for being, you know, in the city in Georgia. Um, and so I did go to the ER because I had flu like symptoms. So I did have flu like symptoms immediately, like the next day, but then within a week I had severe psychiatric symptoms, um, having suicidal thoughts I never had in my life, panic attacks. I thought I was dying. I was in the ER multiple times my brain told me I was, I was dying. Um, and I kind of blocked a lot of this out for a while, you know, as, as one would. And then the other day, actually, my friend brought up to me 
that she remembers when I was calling her that second, that week within that week of that bite. And I was calling her, telling her that I was, my brain was telling me to jump off of my balcony. So it progressed super quickly. And I'd never had any sort of, I've always had a little bit of anxiety um, issues. I've been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder before this, but it was nothing unmanageable. Um, I've never experienced thoughts like that in my life. And I just deep down, I knew that wasn't me and something was wrong. And it was very clearly all connected to me. So with a bite in the, the symptoms. Okay. So just to kind of go back. So yeah. you didn't have any symptoms prior to what you thought was a spider bite. No, nothing. And then pretty immediately after noticing the bite, you started developing psychiatric symptoms. Yeah. I did have flu-like symptoms the day after the bite. And then within like I don't know, four or five days after that is when the psychiatric symptoms came on. Can you explain to us a little bit more about what those flu-like symptoms were? Mm -hmm. So I had um, swollen lymph nodes. I had some pain, like in random spots in my body, like joint pain, um, pain in my sternum here. I got a lot, which I now know that there's lymph nodes in there. Um, See, I can't really remember everything, but I did get to the ER because I was directed there through urgent care and I did have a fever as well. So definitely fever, swollen lymph nodes. Um, I don't think I had like a sore throat or anything like that, but definitely those two things were there. And how long did these symptoms go on? Um, a long time. I still have some of them, if I'm being honest. So, you know, two years. Most of the, most of my symptoms are, are doing a little bit better, but the swollen lymph nodes, the, you know, thing, I still do get that sometimes. Um, and I, do, I didn't get fevers regularly after that. And how did your new symptoms that you were experiencing interfere with your goals and your aspirations, you know, and traveling and the things that you yeah. love to do? Yeah. So, well, to be fair, we were in the beginning of a pandemic. so. I wasn't traveling as, as it was. Um, so that was already affected, but I was in graduate school. I just finished my first semester of graduate school. So I, I wasn't, and I, it wasn't a program where I had the summer off. So I was still in actively in school and we were doing it from home because of the pandemic, which worked in my favor. But I mean, I couldn't even get out of bed for, I don't even remember at least six months or more. Um, so I was just doing school from bed. I wasn't able to honestly like do exams, do papers. Like I wasn't able to do much. I do not know how I made it through. I don't even remember. <laughs> like I don't, it kind of blacked it all out, but so it, it definitely affected that. I couldn't have a social life anymore. And, you know, that was kind of the turning point, at least here in Georgia, where people were starting to be a little social again. They're like, okay, we can go do things outside. And I was watching all of my friends kind of continue their life to the best of their ability during that time. And like, I couldn't do that. So it was very hard. I think the hardest thing for me was watching other people go out and do things like with social media, you can't get away from watching other people live their lives, you know? So I'm watching all my friends, everyone around me live their lives as if nothing's happening. And my world completely stopped, like completely stopped. Cause I thought my life was there was a point where I thought my life was going to be taken from me for good because I was like, this is nothing's going to change. I'm not getting answers, you know? Okay. Well, let's just jump back though, to the point when you first had this bite, which likely could have been a tick bite. Mm -hmm. And then 
the day after you develop flu-like symptoms. And then about a week later, you develop these psychological symptoms. Before the psychological symptoms developed and you were, went to you know, the emergency physician to go get your symptoms looked at with the flu, did they diagnose you with the flu? Did they look at the bullseye rash? Did they think that it could be Lyme disease? Did they bring up a tick bite? Was any of that ever discussed? Tick bite was not discussed at all. And it didn't even cross my mind at that point. Um, spider bite was what I was diagnosed with. And because I had previously had an issue with just, I think it's amoxicillin, just typical antibiotic. They gave me two different antibiotics. I don't remember what they're called now, but they gave me around two separate antibiotics, like one round of them. And they said, yeah, a couple of weeks, like you'll be fine. No big deal. They basically said we can test for this, but like, we're not even going to test. We're just going to assume this is a spider bite. And even if it's something else, this will take care of it is basically what they told me. So in their mind, it was a no brainer. You have yeah. a spider bite, you have something from the spider bite. So we're going to give you antibiotics, which is, and that's going to get your symptoms better. And you're going to go back to living your life. Basically, they told you. That is what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. And that's what I was told. Okay. So now fast forward a week later, you're developing mm-hmm. all of these really, really severe psychological symptoms, which you've never had before. And you talked yeah. about suicidal ideations, pa- severe panic attacks, depression, thinking you were going to die. You mentioned all these things to us, right? Mm-hmm. And were you going, did you go back to your doctor at that point a week later and say, Hey, what the heck I'm treating, I'm a week into antibiotics and what's going on here. Yeah. So what happened was in the moment I thought when this started happening, I'm like, I'm having an allergic reaction to the medications they gave me because it was nothing I never took before. So I'm on the phone with poison control and they're like, no, there's no, this shouldn't be happening to you with these medications. Then I end up calling the ER that I was at, um, and saying, Hey, you get, you know, just talking with whoever was was there uh, a nurse that was working and she was, she talked me down from the panic attack a little bit, but you know how it is. It's like not one of those things where you can just talk yourself out of it when it's just not in your control like that. But she basically convinced me that I was feeling that way because of the state of the world, which I knew wasn't true, but I just needed an answer. So I just kind of rolled with it. And then it kept going on for days to the point where I knew I had to go to the emergency room. I was like, I thought I was dying. I was like, you, ha- I, to my boyfriend, I was like, you have to take me to the emergency room now. I don't know what is about to happen. So I did end up back in the same ER after all of that. And the guy, the new doctor I saw convinced me state of the world. You're just, you're having panic attacks because of the state of the world. Here's some Ativan. And he gave me a couple weeks worth of Ativan and sent me home. So you were dismissed twice in a one week window. So the first time you were dismissed was you had all these symptoms, you were given antibiotics, you didn't get better physically with your flu-like symptoms, but yet they said, it's definitely a spider bite. We don't have to do anything else. Now you're developing psychological symptoms and they're saying, well, the pandemic just started. It must be because it's COVID anxiety. And therefore here, take some prescription medication to help with your anxiety is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did you believe, Keila, did you believe that these were psychological symptoms brought on by the pandemic? Or did you think that there was something deeper going on in your body? No, I knew it. I knew it was something deeper because I just, I know myself, no doctor knows me better than I know me. And I knew this, this wasn't right. This wasn't, I mean, it only made sense. I was bit. And then all of a sudden I just wasn't the same ever again. Like, I mean, it just was very easy for me to piece together, but they just kept convincing me I wasn't really questioning it, but I was like, okay, I was just kind of going with it because I'm like, well, if they think that it's just going to go away, then, you know, that's what I want. So I'm just going to go with what they're saying. 
But let's talk about that, Caleb, because I had a very similar experience where I knew mm-hmm. there was something else going on. I was in a very similar situation where I had, you know, out of the blue panic attacks, out of the blue physical decline. And I was told, hey, it's probably psychological. And hey, you should go down that road. And I accepted that knowing there was something deeper. And you just said the same thing. You knew there was something deeper, but yet yeah. you just went with it. Why do you think you went with it when our instincts are telling us not to accept that answer, yet we still go down that road that we know isn't right for us? I think we do that because that's what we're taught. We're taught that doctors know more than we do. And this is not an attack on, on doctors or anything like that. But you know, being medically gaslit is the worst feeling in the world. Um, and being told your symptoms are, are not, you know, real, like if you're listening to this, you've probably been through that. So, um, I think we're just taught, we're just taught that, you know, doctors know more than, you know, medically. So what they're saying must be true. And so even though I knew it wasn't true, I wanted, I wanted what they were saying to be true because I'm like, okay, then it will just go away and I'll be okay. So I, I wanted that to be true at the same time, but I, I did know that there was something deeper going on. And I don't think until it got a little bit further was when I was like, okay, I have to take this into my own hands. Did it help? So you were given the pharmaceuticals to help with this anxiety and depression and you wanted it to help, but you knew it wouldn't. I mean, I'm assuming it probably didn't help you get that much better. And if it did, it was just barely scratching the surface as to relieving your symptoms. No, it, it didn't help. Uh, if anything, the Ativan, the prescription, the anxiety prescription they gave me prolonged my, my, the action that I took because it was covering up my symptoms. So I was still having anxiety, but because they gave me two weeks worth of it, I was taking it every day and kind of suppressing it. And it took me a few more weeks to notice like, oh, this has actually not gotten better at all till I ran out of the prescription and realized I don't have anything now to take for this, this panic and this anxiety. So it, it's almost like it didn't do anything for me. The antibiotics didn't scratch the surface at all. I got worse from this point. So Okay. It just, I think it was just covering it up. But let's dissect that from two, two different angles. So the first angle yeah. is from the anxiety medication. It did help mask your anxiety. So your anxiety mm-hmm. was lessened, but it was still there under the surface, which prolonged your diagnosis, you're saying, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then physically speaking, you were on antibiotics still and you weren't feeling much better. So what was going on in that area? I mean, were you telling your doctors, Hey, look, beyond the psychological component, I'm still physically unwell. What's going on? Yes. So, um, I was getting worse actually physically. It reached a point where I was having so much muscle and joint pain. I was like on the phone with my parents crying all the time. And I just, you know, I was 25. I was a competitive dancer my whole life. This was weird. Like this didn't make any sense to me where this was coming from. So at that point, I did start looking into what it could be. I started researching myself um, and I actually found Krista Nanos on TikTok. And so that's how I figured out myself. I was like, this is Lyme. I just knew it from watching her videos. Um, and so then I brought that to, to the ER only. And I only kept going to the ER because I kept going to urgent care and they kept directing me to the ER. I know that this, the ER, pro, they're not, they're not going to diagnose you with like Lyme disease or anything like that, but That's just where I kept being sent. So I go to the ER again. This was all in June of 2020. So within one month, I'm in my third time at the ER. And I said, I think I have Lyme. Like, can you tell me where to go? And um, I will say they basically laughed in my face at this point. They made me feel like I was wasting resources. Um, You know, made me feel like I was a hypochondriac, all that. And said, there's no way you have Lyme. The doctor looked at me in the face and said, we don't have ticks in Georgia. And you have lupus. So here, go see 
these different types of doctors from here. So at that point I did bring it back to them. And I said, I think this, this is Lyme. Um, they didn't really care. And they refused to test you. They didn't even run a test. Yeah. And it's funny because I've heard from different people, like the ER is not going to test you for Lyme. That's just not what they do. They'll, they'll send you some to infectious disease. But then I had a friend, um, a couple weeks after this go to the same emergency room and was tested for Lyme right away because they had a tick bite. So it's just, I don't know, you know, who would maybe in new England, I think they would test you for that right away here. It sounds like they did it to somebody else, but they didn't for me. So they did direct me from there. They sent me to, um, they also did all sorts of tests, you know, like I couldn't breathe. I was having, um, air hunger. So they tested for, they x-rayed. I was fine. Blood tests. I was fine. Didn't have elevated white blood cells or anything. So to them, I was fine because lab work was fine. So they sent me to a rheumatologist and to an infectious disease from there. So now I I'm on to my next set of doctors. Okay. So, but at the ER and Mm -hmm. at your urgent care doctor, you're having flu-like symptoms, which are the hallmark symptoms of Lyme disease. Now you're having air hunger. Never before have you had air hunger, which is a symptom of Babesia, another tick-borne illness, Mm -hmm. right? Which is very common with Lyme. We know the testing isn't great. They're refusing to test you regardless. And they're saying, hey, go follow with infectious disease and a rheumatologist. So if they're suspecting something that could be bacterial or from a disease standpoint, they didn't even run the testing at the hospital, which is frustrating from my standpoint, right? Yeah. You're at a hospital, run the blood work. I'm there, do it, right? Tell me what's yeah. going on. I'm, I'm suffering, but that's, that's another story. So, but they also told you at the hospital, they thought it could be lupus. So they wanted you to get explored from a rheumatological standpoint, from autoimmunity, which lupus is an autoimmune disease, but they also wanted you to get checked out from an infectious disease standpoint to make sure there was no infection brewing in your body, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So when you heard lupus, and now at this point, you're starting to become your own doctor, you're researching, you're learning about Lyme, you're on TikTok, you're meeting other people who have Lyme, you're you're making the connection between your symptoms and Lyme disease, you're connecting all these dots, you're networking with people in the community. When you heard about lupus, what were your thoughts about lupus? Did you think "Mm, maybe, or were you sort of confused about the whole thing? So I did not think I had lupus because at this point I was full heartedly convinced that it was Lyme and various infections, but, and the ER didn't know this, uh, my grandmother had lupus and struggled really badly with lupus. So it was important for me to, to rule that out, but I was very convinced it was not lupus. I was like, this is not, that's not what this is. Um, and so I did go, I did rule that out. Um, and it wasn't lupus. But Kayla, what I find interesting about this is, so I, again, our stories are very similar because my grandmother had lupus later on in life. It was really bad. And she was able to get into remission. And the last 10 years of her life, she was in remission from lupus. I tested positive for lupus as well and various autoimmune diseases because Lyme will compromise your immune system, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm genetically predisposed to these autoimmune tendencies. And therefore, it brought out this genetic expression of autoimmunity, which is popping all these autoimmune levels for, for many autoimmune diseases. But once I started treating the root cause, Lyme disease, co-infections, viruses, et cetera, my autoimmunity levels dropped from alarmingly high to within reference range to being normal. So do you think that there's something there that maybe, you know, you like I are genetically predisposed to autoimmunity because it runs in our family. And that was brought out because you were compromised after being infected with Lyme disease. So that kind of makes me think that maybe if this had gone on further, it could have turned into something autoimmune, you know? Um, but when I had my immune autoimmune markers checked, like I didn't have anything autoimmune. He was not worried at all. 
So, but I do think about that sometimes about, you know, if this had gone on, would it have turned into something else or brought out, you know, like you're saying, brought out something else, but he, I mean, he, rheumatologist had nothing for me. So. So you go to the rheumatologist, mm -hmm. nothing is there. You have nothing no autoimmune diseases, move on. Talk so about I, infectious disease. Yeah. So <laughs> infectious disease, that was, you know, how infectious disease goes, but, um, so he, this guy tells me that he knows a ton about Lyme disease because he studied in Maryland. And so he convinces me that if I have Lyme, he's going to be the one to find it and all this. Um, he basically didn't even test me the first time because I had a fever when I showed up. Uh, it was the middle of the summer in, in Georgia and I was driving without my AC on because I love the heat. So could have just been that, but they wouldn't even see me or test me. So we had to talk on the phone. So they didn't run any sort of test. He just said, I'm going to give you three weeks of amoxicillin because we have now found out I wasn't allergic to it. We just somehow narrowed it down to, I wasn't allergic. I just had taken too much once. I don't, I don't really remember all the details of that, but, um, he gave me three weeks of amoxicillin and said, if you have Lyme, this is going to take care of it. So that will help us narrow down what's going on. I am again, convinced that I'm going to be fine in three weeks, even if I do have Lyme. Uh, nothing gets better. If anything gets worse, my joint pain gets worse. Psychiatric symptoms are not even slightly going away. Um, and so then I come back to him and he says, okay, we'll, we'll do the test now. And he told me, I don't know exactly what the tests were that I got done. Um, but he told me it wasn't the typical Lyme test. He told me he tested a different way so that if I had any sort, he tested for antibodies essentially, but he was trying to convince me that it was not a typical test, but I think it, it might've been, uh, it comes back. I have nothing, um, which is now we know is, is normal, um, to not show up, you know, Lyme positive on your Lyme tests and they're super inaccurate, but I didn't know that at the time. So, you know, he ends up giving me more docs. He ends up giving me doxycycline anyways for two weeks or something, very small amount of time. Then I come back after the doxycycline, I'm still not better. And he basically says that there's nothing further he can do for me. I told him I'm having memory loss now. I was like, I can't remember things. I'm throwing my laundry in the trash. I mean, it was crazy. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing at 25. Like I thought I had dementia at this point. It, it, it escalated, you know, at this point. And he said, well, just do some, do some puzzles like crosswords and puzzles, because that will keep your mind moving, which I don't disagree with that, but that's, you don't you're not going to wonder why I'm having memory loss at 25 years old. Like, you know, um, and he said, there's nothing else he could do for me to come back in six months. If I'm still feeling sick, because it's possible that I had West Nile virus. He offered me a spinal tap at this point. Um, but I just personally know a lot about spinal taps and people that have had them. And I just didn't feel like I was ready to explore that yet without looking at other options. So I refused the spinal tap at that point and said, no, I'm going to go, I'll figure something else out. So that basically sums up my experience with infectious disease. I saw him three times and he sent me away saying it's possibly West Nile virus, but couldn't diagnose me with anything else. So Kayla, looking back now, knowing mm -hmm. what you know now, do you think that these allergic reactions and the weird symptoms that you were having after starting the antibiotics, do you believe looking back that that was actually you having Herxheimer reactions? Possibly. Yeah. Um, I didn't even think about it like that. Um, but that would make sense. 
I was just thinking, I've always thought because I was so sick and my illness was progressing and I wasn't treating properly, but yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense too. It could. The reason I asked is because I, this, I, the same thing happened to me. I started having these crazy reactions and I remember at one point wanting to call 911 because I thought I was allergic to these medications. Yeah. That does make so much uh, sense. But yeah, I guess I just always thought, you know, they're not treating me the way I needed to be treated. Um, and so it's just progressing quickly and getting, you know, I was just getting worse, but that does make sense. Lupus is on the table, not lupus. Maybe West Nile, eh, but let us know in a few months how you feel. I have to wonder, is the introduction of these psychological symptoms causing these other doctors to, and I know you don't want to be critical towards doctors, so I'll say this. Do you think that they were being lazy? Well, she doesn't fit any traditional diagnoses and, and she has some psychological symptoms. So we're just going to say it's it's mental health and, and kind of write her off to that side of the medical world. Do you think that had an impact on doctors wanting to really help you get to the root cause? Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, when I say I don't want to be critical towards doctors, I say that because I have a lot of nurses in my family and doctors in my family who I know like that would never be their intentions. So I just want to make sure I'm not talking about everybody when I, you know, stereotyping everybody, but I mean, I think, you have a master's in healthcare administration. So of course you'll be negative. For which, doctors. Is ironic, <laughs> which is ironic because I do feel so differently about the healthcare system now, obviously when you go through something like this. Um, but you know, I, I do prefer now in my journey, more natural holistic options. So I will say after everything I've learned, I think doctors, it's not even necessarily that they're being lazy all the time. I think they're doing what they are taught. Like this is such a bigger issue than just one single doctor. Um, this is a system-wide education issue. So I think they're ta- they're not taught about Lyme disease the way that it actually is. They're not taught um, to look at root causes. They're, they're simply, they don't, a lot of them do not know how to do that. So, but yeah, I agree. It could also just be pure laziness of, of being like, well, I explored the few things I know. So move on. You know, it could, it could be a mix of it all. So before we get to your Lyme literate naturopath who helped you Mm -hmm. get diagnosed with Lyme and, you know, within a few months of your symptoms becoming, you know, present in your life, let's talk about looking back, right? Because Kelsey talked to you about your childhood. Do you think, cause there's, there's a lot of differing views on how somebody can become so sick so fast. So Dr. Rolls believes that if you have one tick bite and you're immunocompromised because of exposure to mold, for example, that one tick bite can make you chronically ill and as sick as you are and were, I should say were, not are. On the other hand, you could have been bitten multiple times and multiple bites throughout your life could lead you to become as sick as you were when it becomes the final straw that broke the camel's back scenario, when you get your last tick bite, which possibly could have been in June of 2020. So what do you think it was for you? Do you think it was one tick bite and you had a weakened immune system and that that was the the reason that you got so sick? Or do you think that you had multiple bites and you didn't even know it throughout your life? Yeah. So as of recently, uh, we will get into that, but I was given more information by other doctors that have, they have told me that I was actually infected previously to 2020. So, and looking back, I was going to school in Northern Maine. I have, I could name 10 people off the top of my head that I know from my college time that have Lyme disease. So, I mean, it's so common up there um, that it, it makes so much sense to me. And it kind of makes sense as to why it, I progressed so quickly like that. But also I do, I have been exposed to mold as well. So it really, I think it could go so many ways for me. 
So it's really a toxic soup, right? You were, you were reinfected various times throughout your life. You exposed to mold, which weakens your immune system. We know it all comes down to your immune system. We talked yeah. about your pivot to natural health, which we're going to go to in natural medicine. But now let's focus on your diagnosis with, well, I guess, first of all, how did you find your Lyme literate yes. naturopathic doctor after being failed by infectious disease? The rheumatologist, mm-hmm. the ER doctors, the urgent care doctor, everybody's saying either you're crazy, you have all these other diagnoses or come back and see me in a few months. Like, how did you find a Lyme litter doctor that you knew would be able to help you after being so let down by so many doctors? Yeah. So I, this is probably, this was the turning point in my journey and I owe a lot of these people, I feel like my life. So I, I love to tell this part. So I did, I already mentioned, I found Krista on TikTok and I was convinced I had Lyme by speaking with her. And, you know, she did tell me to find a Lyme litter doctor, but I guess I didn't totally understand what that meant at the time because I just thought, oh, finding another infectious disease doctor that believes me. I just, you know how we're taught that that's the one way to get healthy is through the typical Western medical system. So I just, I was still my blinders on. I just didn't know better. So I'm calling my family. All my family's like, it's okay if you just have mental health issues. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, but I'm telling you, like, nobody could understand what was going on. So okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Even your family doubted you if you were really sick. It's not that yeah, your I mean, family thought that, maybe you were just mental health issues, right? Well, yeah. And it's not that they were doubting me. I think it's just like, we were trying to make sense of it. And that's all people could make sense of was that it's, it's okay. If you have mental health issues, like that's all we could make sense of. I also live very far away from my family. So the only person who watched me physically go change this was my boyfriend. I've been living with him. I was living with him this whole time. So he's the only one that could, and I mean, he's not me, so he can't understand from that point of view, but he watched it happen. So he's the, probably the only one that was like, okay, this makes no sense. So basically a cousin of mine had heard not from me, but from another family member, what was going on. And she happened to work with a guy who had had Lyme disease so bad that he was diagnosed with lymphoma, had all of his, like, you know, multiple lymph nodes removed, diagnosed with Parkinson's and everything under the sun for years and years and years. And so now that he is better, he spends his life advocating. So she directed me to him who got on the phone with me within a day, no problem, was so happy to speak with me, tell me his story. He says he gets 30 to 40 calls a week, I think is what he told me from people in the New England area with, with these issues. So he directed me, directed me to his Lyme literate NP. And so I was going home to visit in Massachusetts a few weeks after I spoke with him. So I set up an appointment with her and I saw her and she took my blood and she said, yep, Lyme. And she's like, I'm going to give you, you know, I think we did doxycycline for three months just to like lower some loads. And then we were going to like take it from there. Um, my, you know, I wait the three weeks for the Igenix test is what we ran and it came back positive, like very positive. And I didn't do the full like co-infections panel. I just did Lyme yes or no, because at the time we just needed an answer. Like it just, it just wasn't, I didn't really care at that time. Um, so we just ran yes or no. And I didn't totally understand how to read the test at the time, but since then I've showed other doctors the same test and they're like, there is no doubting that you have Lyme from this test. So that's how I got my diagnosis finally. And I just, I do love telling that story because it's almost like a miracle that that worked out the way it did. Thank God. Right. Because yeah. many, I mean, there's so many, there's so many different parts of your story where you could have been failed even more than you were failed in your own life. Right. I mean, how many people have Lyme disease and don't even have it as a thought in their mind that they can have Lyme yeah. disease, right? You, at least you had, you got sick, you thought Lyme and you found, then you found a doctor to help you get the proper diagnosis. 
I often wonder how many people are out there that are sick and suffering that have other diagnoses, but really have Lyme disease and are, and are, and are suffering greatly yep. and don't know any better, but I think about it all the time. I think about it all the time. And, and, you know, so it's, it's on one hand, yes, you're very blessed. But on the other hand, let's be real. It sucks to have chronic Lyme disease, right? So you have to mm-hmm. have a drive to fight, to get better. And if you don't have that drive, like clearly you had since the beginning, when you started doing your own research, you're not going to get better. I mean, looking at you, you know, obviously talking to you today, we know that you've made significant progress in your healing journey because you wouldn't give up. You kept fighting and you've done, I'm sure, a ton of things to heal, which we're going to talk about now. But before we go there, actually, let's talk about, so you went home to Massachusetts, you're visiting with your family. And I want to talk about your, your, your health at that time, right? So physically, where is your health at at this time? Um, mentally and, and, you know, psychologically, where is your health out, health out at this time? And what was your family's reaction to you when you went home? Because you know that only your boyfriend saw you decline. So now that you're going home and they see how sick you are, how did your family respond to you? So that's tough because you know what everyone says about people with chronic Lyme is you don't look sick. So how, I feel like people still couldn't totally understand because I looked the same. I mean, I definitely had dropped a little weight and I've always been very tiny. So that's noticeable because I had so many panic attacks and so much anxiety that I would say I didn't eat for the whole summer of, of 2020. I mean, I was doing smoothies. Like I have always been very into nutrition and health. Uh, that's what I went to school for. So I've always, you know, I know, I know eating is important. Um, but I just could, I was so sick. I couldn't do it. So I dropped some weight. So people definitely noticed that. Um, and I wasn't eating certain foods anymore because I was putting, I was doing the research and I was putting the connection between sugar and my panic attacks and gluten and my symptoms. So I started doing that. And I think people actually started to question if I had an eating disorder. Um, I would say that was the biggest thing during that time for me is people maybe were confused if like why I was acting that way but I looked fine. And I actually, the reason I was going home already was because my mom was getting married. So I feel like we were kind of in the midst of other things and there wasn't really time for anyone to notice. Like my dad and my stepmom, I went and I stayed with them in in their house when I went to visit home and my stepmom's a nurse. And so they knew something was wrong and, but they couldn't really understand because I don't think they'd ever seen something like this before. So I was having panic attacks. I was, you know, freaking out a lot, crying, thinking I I was dying, but I did also get more anxiety medication from my Lyme litter NP. So like I could at least kind of control that aspect. So it's hard. Like, I feel like they really didn't see the worst of it still. Right. I mean, because it is an invisible illness and generally the the symptoms that people see the most, like for me, were my neurological symptoms. And, you know, did you ever have any sort of cognitive decline where you had trouble Mm -hmm. recalling words or speaking or things like that, that would be noticeable to people in your life that you didn't have before? Yeah. And I will say my boyfriend is just the one that noticed that because we lived together and he, I was, there was a time I threw my, I threw my laundry in the trash can instead of in the like laundry. And I was forgetting words, forgetting people's names. I would be opening doors and cabinets and just like walking away because I have no idea why I was there, which sometimes I tell people that and they make a joke and they're like, Oh, it happens to me all the time. And I'm like, no, but it's, it's really actually not funny. It's very scary. Um, and so he's really the only one that saw that. I would say my parents didn't really get a chance because we were busy we were, there was a wedding and stuff going on. So no one else really saw that. So let's talk about now you're treating with this naturopathic doctor. You went on doxycycline, I believe for many months, right? How many months were you on doxycycline yeah, for so total? She actually wasn't naturopathic. She did 
she did kind of incorporate herbs on occasion, but like she was more Western medicine, but like Lyme literate. So she understood Lyme very well. So she, she, did she, was, an, she was a naturopathic practitioner though, or, or she a medical no, doctor? She's a medical, medical. Oh, I'm MP. sorry. Okay. Yep, she's a medical she's doctor. I, I have seen naturopathic since, okay. but, um, so she put me on doxycycline for three months. Um, and you know, helped me with vitamin supplement support, helped me understand the process of, you know, detoxing and all of that. So she knew what she was, she knew what she was doing and I trusted her. Um, but I guess I just feel now that that antibiotics aren't necessarily the end all be all for most people. Um, but she, we did doxycycline for three months. And then after that, she put me on something called Kef, Keftin, maybe Cephyrexime is the generic name. And I can't remember what the, the other name is, but so that's probably what did the most for me while I was on antibiotics because it was crossing the brain barrier. And I feel like it was bringing down kind of like the memory loss, the brain fog, not, a, it, it wasn't end all be all, but it, I noticed a difference when I was taking that. But the was it a pill? Was, was it, was it an IV? It was, it was all oral. I never did okay. IV antibiotics. So all oral antibiotics. So they did help, but like, I was never getting to a point where I was like, okay, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like that never happened for me on antibiotics. Um, but they, but they did help where I could function. And I got through grad school. I couldn't really work, but I was in grad school part-time, um, from home. And I was able to somehow miraculously finish that. Um, and then the problem was the dose was so high of these antibiotics that I would go to the pharmacy and the pharmacist would always be like, are you sure this wasn't a mistake? And they would kind of threaten to not give them to me. And I feel like, okay, like I need them and they don't understand Lyme. So I'm just gonna keep going with it and trusting it. And I did, tr I did trust her, but I just think I know a lot of more information about the specific infections I had now. And I just don't think the antibiotics were ever going to be the end all be all for me, but total length of time on various, those, those two specifically. And then sometimes we'd rotate in another antibiotic and different supplements and this and that, but those were the main things I did, the doxycycline and the cefiroxime. Um, that was about 16 months because I stopped taking antibiotics, cold Turkey in maybe the first week of November or last week of October of 2021, not that long ago. Okay. So the antibiotics essentially allowed you to not decline, keep yes. you at a baseline, but you weren't getting much better. And you were able yeah. to get through graduate school and basically barely survive and get on with your life, but be able you know, at a minimal graduate and function a little bit. Yeah. And I will say as well, I'll add in, I, I was not functioning as my normal self at all. Like I was miserable. I couldn't socialize. My personality had changed a lot. You know, that's something I forgot to mention earlier. My personality was so different. I'm very social. I'm very, I love meeting new people, love doing new things. I couldn't be around people. My couple best friends. And other than that, it was like, I don't like you. And I don't want to be near you. Like I was a different person. Um, and so I was still at that point. The antibiotics did not help me with that at all. Talk to us about the impact this is having on your personal life, right? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned your friendships and you had, it sounds like a, a long, a long-term boyfriend. How is this affecting your relationship first with your boyfriend? Because he knew you when you were healthy. Now he's seeing you, you know, not being able to remember why you went to the pantry. He's seeing you not be able to get words out. And now he's seeing you, you know, not eat because you're just so sick. And now you're a different person altogether with your personality. So how is this having an impact on your intimate relationship with your boyfriend at the time? Yeah. Um, I think it was very traumatic for him as well. And so I try to, I try to always remember that, like he went through this too. Uh, it definitely affects your relationship because I wasn't the same person. I wasn't the person that I was when we 
when we started dating. And I think we'd only been dating. I, it was less than, less than a year when this happened to me. And so I think we had to go through something that people don't go through until they're like late into marriage sometimes, you know? So I think we had to go through a lot of stuff that people don't, don't normally go through. And we were used to being out and partying all the time and having a good time, having this huge social life. We're both big social butterflies to being constrained to the house, only worrying about illness at such a young age. Um, I think it caused a lot of stress and a lot of strain because we couldn't focus on normal people, early twenties relationship stuff. We were focused on real heavy stuff. So I think it just caused a lot of strain. And I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, to this day, like I just really came out of a lot of this. So I think we're really just still building back, you know, getting used to being normal again, because this, he went through all of this with me. It wasn't just me by myself. You know, he, we're in each other's space all the time. So I think if that makes sense, I think there's just a lot of building back of like the relationship almost like it does. And building like a new relationship because I'm not necessarily the same as I was before, not the same person as I was. But let's talk about how he responded to your illness. Did mm-hmm. I guess the first question I have is did he did he believe in your Lyme diagnosis once you got diagnosed rigenics, or was he doubting whether or not you were really sick? You know, because some people it, it varies from person to person. Yeah. So I think when I first brought to his attention before a diagnosis, I was like, I have Lyme. Uh, he was like, No, I don't think it's Lyme but he actually has a friend who had Lyme so bad that his organs were failing and he almost didn't make it basically from this, like directly correlated from the Lyme. So once I got this, you know, we went home and I got this test. He was, he was there with me to get the test. Um, and he believed it hundred percent. So he believed it. He wasn't doubting it. Um, but I, I also think sometimes when you're not experiencing it from my point of view, I think it, you still can't understand what's actually going on in my head and what's actually going on in my body. So sometimes I kind of doubt it. I'm like, do you really know? Like, do you really get it? Even though I know he does because he watched it, but I definitely still found myself doubting if he really did, but he, he did, he believed me. He did not I didn't have to really fight him on that at all. So Kayla, once he finally understood what was going on, you got your diagnosis and he accepted it as well. Mm-hmm. Did he help explain it to your friends and family members that weren't so sure and just thought it was psychiatric issues or an eating disorder? Did he help explain that to them? Mm-hmm. Definitely with my dad. Um, I know like him and my dad spent some time on the phone um, a few times. So I think in that case, yes. But I think I to my close friends and family, I mean, I did all that. I explained it to them. I didn't really need his assistance necessarily in that case. Um, I think explaining it to people that we weren't super close with, like casual friends was very hard for both of us because it's like, it was just very hard. It's hard to explain it to people you're not close with in general. So I think we kind of didn't even really try very hard at that. So I will say he did help when it was needed, but honestly, I mean, I talk a lot and I have no problem telling people that I'm close with my problems and what's going on. So I didn't necessarily even need assistance most of the time. Talk to us about November of 2021, because mm-hmm. that's when you decided to stop taking the antibiotics after I think you said about 14 months. So yep. what, what made you, did you make that decision or was it your doctor made that decision? And why was that decision made to stop treating with antibiotics when in reality you were just sort of sustaining your level of health and not improving? Yeah. So this story actually goes back to about a year ago, March, 2021, when I started to consider other options, because at this point it had been close to a year 
and I just knew myself and I was not getting anywhere close back to my normal self. And I think, you know, it can take a long time, but I was still convinced this was absolutely an acute infection. There was no reason I should still be this sick. So I just started looking into other options and I ran into a girl on um, Instagram. Her name at the time was love your corks. I think it's different now, but um, her name is Jessie. And she kind of explained to me Lime Stop a little bit. And she's like, oh, hey, there's a podcast on it. Go listen to it. I listened to this podcast where they interviewed doctor, Dr. Tony Smith. And I still, there was something still telling me like, no, maybe not yet. I'm not, I'm not, wasn't ready to let go of the antibiotics because I just was, again, still blinders on convinced that was the only way. Um, and so I did call Lime Stop and they were able to get me in in May, but I just wasn't ready to commit because it was, I'd have to stop the antibiotics. I just wasn't ready to do that. Um, I'll, you know, drop a lot of money out of pocket. I wasn't, if I wasn't sure I wasn't going to drop that kind of money. So I put it off, but I kept going back to the podcast. I kept listening to it. And I just kept feeling like drawn to this podcast. I, I listened to it like six or seven times. So finally, I think in June after, you know, I, I missed the opportunity the first time to go, I called them and I got on the wait list, but they couldn't get me until November. Maybe it was July. Either way, it was around that time. And I was like, you know what? I'm signing up. If I lose my deposit because I decide not to go, then I do. So I signed up. And at that point, I'd felt called to go. I was like, I keep coming back to this podcast. And I feel so good when I listen to this podcast. Like I, this guy is going to heal me. I was just convinced. And so I signed up and then I knew I was going to have to go off the antibiotics in November. So I just kept doing what I was doing and working with my Lyme litter NP up until then because I was like, you know, maybe they'll bring me to an even better place before then I'm not going to stop treating. Uh, but that's kind of what prompted me to stop was I found this other treatment that I really wanted to give a full chance. Um, but I just couldn't do it until I was fully ready to commit. And so, you know, eventually I was fully ready to commit. And so that's why I stopped in November is because they have you stop, uh, two weeks before, but because I was so scared of encountering panic attacks again, because I'd gotten them mostly under, under bay. Like I wasn't having them super actively anymore. I had anxiety all the time, but I wasn't thinking I was dying. And I was so scared of going back to that place that I said, is there any way I can take them up until the treatment? They said, yes, but I ended up one week before I stopped, I think was what I decided to do. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah, let's quickly just for our listeners talk about Lime Stop because mm -hmm. we've had other people on like Ashley Bellinger who have treated at Lime Stop and have, have had success. And we've heard a little bit about it, but one of the things that we always hear is what the, what is Lime Stop, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very vague. So how I understand Lime Stop is they use magnets to target areas of your body that are known to be prone to where the infections are, I guess, most prominently located in your body. And they use these magnets to essentially activate your immune system to hone in on the pathogens, Lyme and co-infections, to allow your immune system to do what it was designed to do and kill off all these bad things in your body. Is that accurate? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not that's even sure if that's pretty, correct. So That's pretty accurate. Um, but I will say it, it's a little bit more specific on where they, they, it's not just a general location. They actually use muscle and energy testing to, and like, they call it craniobiotic therapy, I think is what they call it. Um, and it's what they've created themselves. So they, they can kind of target specific areas based on where your infection is. So it's not necessarily just general, like they found I had X infection in this part of my body. So they'll target that part. Um, that may be different for like, if Kelsey went, that might be totally different. So it is very like bio individual, but yes, the magnet thing is accurate. Um, it does kind of, it like almost alerts your immune system 
triggers your immune system to go and hone in on that specific infection, like you said. So yeah, that's, that's a pretty good way of explaining it. So the, the energy testing helps the practitioner identify what parts of your body to address. You mm-hmm. use magnets on those parts of your body and I'm trying to simplify it so I can understand yeah, it. Yeah. I'm just trying to break it down. Right. Yeah. So we're using these magnets on those parts of the body. And then those magnets are invoking an immune response, even in immune compromised people to allow your immune system to become strong and then kill off these pathogens. And, and it's not the magnets that are actually treating, it's the immune system that's treating, but the magnets are allowing your immune system to focus again and hone in on these, on these pathogens, correct? Yes. Yep. That's a good way to explain it. Okay. So how long, I mean, did you have to go physically to Lime Stop? And, and yep. if so, how long did you have to stay there? I mean, that must've been, you know, a, a, an experience, right? It was. Um, so I went in November of 2020. I flew out to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Well, I flew into Spokane, Washington and drove to Coeur d'Alene. Um, and I had to bring my boyfriend as well because they said, you know, we need to treat your, your partner for EBV if you both have EBV. So you're not passing that back and forth and you can actually get better. So I took him with me. We went um, and, you know, from Georgia, I wasn't really getting a direct flight. So it, it was when you're very, very sick. That is a that is a huge trip to make across the country like that. Um, so we go and I spent, my treatment was over two days. So I probably spent, you know, three or four days total there. Um, but I will say the experience was really great just in the the town in general. Like we ended up loving the town and like, I kind of want to go back to visit. I loved it so much. Um, and I just, I could feel like that I was going to heal from this just when I showed up there. So I had a good experience there, but it is so hard to get yourself across the country like that when you are that sick. Again, not everyone is in my location that goes there, but, and there is one in Wisconsin as well. I just chose the one with the shortest wait list. There's two doctors that kind of work together. Yeah. Talk to us about what it was like the first time you went and got the magnetic therapy when it was waking up, waking up your immune system. How did you feel during and immediately after the treatment? So a lot of people, I'm in a Facebook group with people that go to Lime Stop. I follow people's stories. I've been following them for, you know, over a year. So I know what it's typically like to go here and go through this. I will say, I think mine is very rare at how good I felt so quickly. People do not really have the reaction that I have. So I went and I had my treatments on the first day. Um, it was very scary and nerve wracking because he was able to tell me a lot of the infections that I had that I knew I probably had, but he was able to tell me where, and it was just very scary. He told me I had Bartonella in my brain and cerebrospinal fluid. And that was the one that, you know, I just broke down crying when he told me that. Um, and, and Kayla, you know, Bartonella is, is a pathogen that's extremely often associated with psychological symptoms. Yeah. And you had this, this, you know, rapid onset of psychological symptoms, right? So now it's all coming together and making sense, right? It was super validating. It was so validating, but yeah, it was very scary to hear that. Cause I'm like, I knew this, I did know it, but just to hear it, you're like, I can't believe that this is my life, you know? Um, and so he ended up finding a 10 different co-infections essentially. And a few other things that aren't necessarily Lyme related, but you know, your body is as a whole needs to be treated. So Um, but the experience was good. It was different because I'd never done any sort of holistic treatment like this. Essentially I have, you know, played with herbs and in supplements, but nothing like this. Uh, and I really had to put my full trust in it, but he did such a good job of explaining it and making you feel confident in it, uh, when you're there that I just, it was just great. But physically I would say I was tired. I was fatigued. I was, you know, a little stressed but nothing super out of the ordinary for, for how sick I was. 
And then on my flight home, he said, he's like, you know, some of these symptoms, it's going to be attacking an infection one by one, your immune system. So you're going to, some new symptoms might come on that you haven't had basically expect anything. So I was prepared. I was expecting absolutely anything. I got on the plane to go home. I hadn't had a panic attack in at least six months, like full-blown panic attack, had one on the flight. It lasted only a couple of minutes. I was so thankful that it was super quick, but I felt it. And then it went away and I never had one again. But from there on out, I only saw improvements. I never got, I never had like a herx or felt sick. Like a lot of people explain it as, you know, such a big roller coaster, this, this treatment. And I just didn't have that experience. I have not like, I still am shocked that I was a lucky, so lucky to like only have good experiences. So I just want to spend a little more time on Limestop because yeah. we've only had a few people that have been there. So I'm, okay. and I think you said, if you can repeat again, how long were you there for before you left yeah. in that, that flight and you had the panic attack? How long were you there probably, for before you left? Probably four days. Four days. Okay. Yeah. And while you were there for the four days, what was the treatment like? Are you going in mm-hmm. and you're laying down on this table and they're putting magnets on your body? Like, What's the actual experience like while you're there? getting these magnets, you know, yeah. placed on your body, you know, give us an idea, like what it's like yeah. as a patient so, to go through this. Okay. So for the muscle testing, he kind of hold, holds up your arm. If you've ever had any type of muscle testing, I don't think it's, I don't think it's any different than an atypical muscle testing, but it's so quick, like rapid fire. He holds up hundreds of vials to you, tests you for hundreds of allergies, like within 20 minutes, it's, it's almost like, how can this be real? Because like, it's crazy how fast he does it. And he explains it to you. And it's, it's so chill. I just stand by his desk and he's sitting at his desk. I'm standing there and he's, you know, testing my arm, my arms giving out at certain things. And so I'd never done any type of muscle testing. So it was kind of weird to get on board with. Um, and then when he decides, you know, what we're treating, he puts these magnets up to different parts of your body. He also did a cold laser on my head. Every time I'd come in, I saw him five times total. Over what does that mean? A cold laser Kayla? Can you explain mm, for us what that it, is? It's kind of, it doesn't hurt or anything. You don't feel anything, but it's kind of like you wear these glasses and he puts, I don't know, this laser around your head and it promotes healing and decreases inflammation. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. If I'm being honest, um, because it was just a quick thing. I did it for three minutes every time I'd walk in his office and then we never would talk about it again. So, um, but so I don't know if that had anything to do with my healing or not, but I think it was just there to help promote healing. And so the magnets, he would, you know, target where the infection is, depending on where the infection is, would be depending where he put the magnets. A lot of the times, I think most of my stuff was going, like I had a lot of stuff going on my liver and small intestine. So sometimes it'd be on my stomach and he would kind of use his hands to like, the way he explains it is so much better. Um, kind of push like certain energies towards it. There's, there's, there's a lot of science, uh, scientific evidence behind it. He obviously explains it way better, but just from a patient perspective that doesn't have all that knowledge, he kind of just swipes his hand to a certain direction. And it, it gives like a certain charge to your body, like negative or positive charge to your body and alerts your immune system that it's there. So sometimes I'd be holding the magnets. A lot of times I'd hold them up here on my shoulders and they were like big like that. And they were just heavy magnets and I'd hold them. And that was it. I mean, it was so non-invasive. It's, it's actually crazy to think that that did what it did for me, but that's like from the patient experience, that's it. And I saw him five times over two days. Uh, the appointments were like 20 minutes each. They also sit down with you at one of the appointments and go over nutrition, um, and supplements and vitamins. Cause they do send you home with a four month protocol to support the treatments done. 
but you know, to support your body and keep it in a low state of inflammation, you know, we go on the anti-inflammatory diet. If you have, it, it also depends on what you have. Like a lot of people go, that go have candida. So they'll do an even more extensive kind of restrictive diet, you know, but I didn't have that. So it, it was honestly, it was very restrictive. I would say the best way to put it, cause I talking about restrictions can be hard, but, um, anti-inflammatory is like the best way I can explain it to put your body in the best state of healing. And so that was tough four months of, I, I was kind of already doing that though, this whole time. So for me, I feel like it wasn't the biggest change, but they do sit down to, with you and they explain to you why you're not eating your, you shouldn't be eating certain things. If you can help it, why, uh, you know, you're taking certain supplements. Cause he muscle tests you for all these different supplements too, and what your body needs. So like, I mean, I was taking so many, I was taking so many, probably 30, 40 different capsules a day. Um, and they also put you on like a liver, little liver cleanse for a few weeks, just something like a powder. That's really great for your liver. And none of this stuff has like added sugars or added gluten. And so it's really clean. And so that's kind of why I liked it too, is because I felt like that was a big piece of my healing was the anti-inflammatory diet piece that I'd been working on for like a year and a half before this. So, I mean, it's very extensive. It's also very bio-individual. So Kayla, going back to how they kind of diagnose you when you initially arrive at LimeStop, is it just the muscle testing that they do, or do they also do blood work um, to confirm these infections or anything going on with your immune system? It's just muscle testing. So it's super non-invasive and very quick. So I remember when I was newly diagnosed and first entering the Lyme world, I had heard of muscle testing, but I didn't really understand what it was. And once I started looking into it, I know there's different ways that you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. You can do it to yourself, just holding on to a supplement and asking your body yes or no. For those people yeah. who don't know what muscle testing is, um, there are certain ways you can do it where your body just acts as a pendulum and just tells you yes or no. So explain a little bit more in depth how they use the muscle testing to diagnose these infections and other things going on with your immune system. Yeah. So he would, he had these books of vials and they all held different drugs, different, you know, types of things that would treat certain infections essentially. And some of them might've even been holding infections. I honestly don't know. It happened so fast, but he will hold that up to your body in certain places and he'll be holding your arm and my arm would essentially give out when my, and my body would react to certain things. And that's how he would be able to tell, um, if I had that type of infection. And then from there, he has certain points. It's a treatment. He, he created this next step. So like, I don't know if I can explain that super well, but he has certain points on the body that whole touch and then do the muscle testing again, kind of to see where, where the infection is, but to tell what infections you have just in general in your body, it's kind of just typical muscle testing where he'll hold up a vial to your body and see how your muscles will react. And so that can tell you like last time I had to go back, I was testing very heavily for a drug that treats mycotoxins. And so he could kind of tell my body was asking for that drug for them to treat the mycotoxins essentially. So it's not like a, do you have this? Yes or no, but it's kind of like, well, my body's reacting to something that would treat this or reacting to something you know, it's reacting a certain way to certain things. And that can kind of, you know, get you. So that was, 
kind of going to be a follow-up was, um, do they also do the muscle testing for all of the supplements and medications that they prescribe to you as well, just to kind of confirm that your body is saying yes or no to these things? Yeah. So he muscle tests for all of that. So when I went back, he muscle tested me again for a lot of the supplements that they had me on. And he was able to tell me, you know, if there were a few, he suggested to stay on if I wanted to. Um, and I, that was super cool too, because you can bring to him on your first visit supplements that you've been taking per your other doctors and he'll muscle test you on if you really need them or not. And so I was borderline hypothyroid for a while. Like I was, I wasn't, I didn't have hypothyroidism, but one of my doctors was concerned that it was getting there. And so I brought to him. Uh, my thyroid supplement, that was the only one I really was like, okay, should I be taking this or not? Other than that, I was just going to trust what he said. And he tested me for it. My body was like, no, you, you don't need this particular supplement. So then I never took it again. And I don't think I have issues with thyroid anymore. Um, but yeah, you can have, you can even bring to him certain supplements. He said, people bring him baskets of supplements that they're taking and he'll test all of them on him, on them and let them know which ones that they should probably continue and which ones they might not need so much. Kayla, muscle testing is a hard concept for people to accept. I mean, coming from where I was before I got sick, if you told me, you know, 10 years ago, right, I would have been like, what are you talking about? That is batshit crazy, right? Right. I mean, today I'm like, freaking great, right? But like, there's a huge barrier of entry to accept things like this. And for us, it was, we were just so desperate. We wanted to get better. And then these things help us. And then we realize they're valid because they help us when we're so desperate. But yeah. for people listening that are caretakers or maybe new to this Lyme journey, and even when I first was, you know, new to this Lyme world and, and you know, this Lyme literate world, how can you explain it where it'll make it a little bit easier for people to accept that something like this can be actually valid and helpful? Because it took me a long time to get there. And I don't know, I can't myself explain this in a way that makes it easier for people to to digest and accept as a valid tool to identify what may or may not be good for our bodies. Yeah. So that's a good question because like you said, it's hard to explain. I also feel that it's hard to explain. Um, I guess just the best way to explain it, or, you know, if you're on the fence about it is like, what do you have to lose by trying muscle testing? What do you have to lose? I mean, it gave me, it almost just felt like, how could he get so much information from that? It's kind of crazy. Like, how could he get that much information? But of course I trust, I just, I knew I needed to do this and I trusted it and I followed it. And so, and it brought me to such a better place that now I'm, I'm trying to learn how to muscle test on myself. So I guess a good way to explain it is just your body has energy. We're all made up of energy. That's what we are. And so when your body is in contact with something that it wants or doesn't want, it is capable of telling you that I I get that that's such a hard concept to grasp, but we are made of energy. That's just a fact. And so if your body can feel that energy of a supplement or a vial of like that drug that I was testing like heavily for my body was reacting so heavily to that drug. If I'm taking that drug and I have mycotoxins, my body is going to respond to that. So kind of like, what's the difference of it being on the outside? My body, the energy of my body is still capable of picking up on that when it's up, like being held up. If you can't see me, I'm holding my hand up to like my chest area. Like my butt, that's where we would put it sometimes like just up to my, my chest and my body's capable of reading that energy and feeling that if it wants it or not. So I know that's probably not the best answer everyone's looking for. No, but I think it's it's really good. It's a good answer, Kayla, because 
It's non-invasive, as you noted earlier. Mm -hmm. There's zero risk. It's not uncomfortable. You literally stood by his desk and were just chatting with him while he was testing you. And you said hundreds of supplements were done within minutes, right? So it's it's a short period of time, non-invasive, zero risk. And you only have any, you only have something to gain, nothing to lose from it. Right. So that's, that's, that's why people should explore this because a lot of people listening are new to the Lyme community or have been in in the Lyme community for quite a while, but we all want to get better. No matter where we are, we can still make a little bit more improvement. So why not try something that can help us get a little bit healthier and improve our lives a little bit more. Right. And that's the approach I take towards this kind of stuff. And and it's also a matter of physics too. I mean, what did Einstein say? Everything is energy and that's all there is to it. Yes. Exactly. And so you don't have to go to Limestop to get this type of testing. There are so many people out there that do muscle, muscle testing or energy testing. Um, also a lot of people will call it kinesiology, which is funny because that is what my undergrad degree is in. So really came full circle on that one. But so there, there's other people out there. You don't have to go all the way to Idaho. Like I did to get this type of testing. But, but this is specific for the testing for the actual magnetic therapy. That's, yeah. that's exclusive to Limestop, correct? Yes, this varies this specific type. Yes, but there are other people I've heard very good success stories with other types of biomagnetic therapy um, that aren't necessarily Lyme stop. But the way he does it that's slightly different is he has specific points on the body that he can kind of navigate and find exactly where certain infections are. Um, but you can go see somebody else that does biomagnetic therapy. It just might not be as geared towards Lyme, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Let's dig a little bit deeper on that one, right? So mm-hmm. Lyme stop and biomagnetism, but specifically Lyme stop, I know it's not just for Lyme disease, but it's for mm-hmm. all of the known co-infections, right? It includes things yep. like Bartonella, Babesia, Ehrlichia, Mycoplasma, uh, Mycoplasma pneumonia, Chlamydia pneumonia, the Protomyxoa, the Rickettsia, the HHV6, the Cytomegalovirus, the Epstein-Barr virus, and a ton of other co-infections, right? So yes. People that are listening are like, I have so much going on. It's not just Lyme disease, but but biomagnetism and Lyme stop, Lyme stop is a honed in specialized treatment that's going to target not only the Lyme bacteria, but a ton of other bacteria, viruses, protozoa, parasites, et cetera. Correct? Yeah. And I mean, I have my paperwork here too. I can read, read to you if you're interested what I actually have. Oh, please. I mean, we'd love to know me? what okay. you had. Yes. Oh, let's Maybe. geek out. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot on here. So it's going to take me a couple minutes to get through it. Um, I have one side of my sheet of papers is not Lyme related. And then one side is Lyme related. I'll do the Lyme related first. So for co-infections, and then he also kind of tells me where they were located in my body. Um, and that's kind of crazy too. So I'll tell you that. So I had Borrelia, which is bacterial Lyme disease. I had that in my blood, my spleen, my lymph system, and my bladder. I had Babesia in my blood and my spleen. I had Bartonella in my brain, cerebral spinal fluid, small intestine, my blood and my spleen. Um, I kind of forgot about that one because I was so focused on the brain that I was like, I forgot I had that all over the place. I had mycoplasma pneumoniae in my blood and my spleen. And then he has these different Lyme viruses listed out. So like, you know, tick transmitted or however you got your Lyme transmitted viruses that don't have names that he's just discovered over time. Um, so they don't have names. They just have numbers, but I had one, two, three, four, five different Lyme related viruses in my small intestine. And then one of them was also in my blood and my spleen. And then I had the cyst form of Borrelia in my small intestine. So like the egg form, and that was it for Lyme. That was it. (laughs) 
That's it. Live. That's, that's, oh, come on. But, but there's so many others on here that I didn't have, like um, Ehrlichia and all the, like, I didn't have any of those. So you just infected in your brain, your every single organ in your body, every your blood. Organ. I mean, pretty much every single part of your body is infected with the tick one of those, but that's it. No big deal. Yeah, it's really, it's really nothing, guys. <laughs> um, and then I'll tell you what I, what he found. So when he's doing all this testing, he's finding things that aren't just Lyme related because your whole body matters. If you're immuno, immunocompromised, you're not going to get better if you're not addressing everything essentially is how he explains it. So he found aspergillus, which is a type of mold in my sinuses. He found protozoa in my small intestine, which I think is some sort of parasitic type infection. And then he found parasites in my small intestine. And then he found a random virus in my liver and he found EBV Epstein-Barr virus in my blood, spleen and lymph system. And he found that I had mercury toxicity specifically in my liver. So he'll test for heavy metals too. Um, he does explain that his, his treatment and testing for heavy metals isn't super extensive, but, um, it's a good place to start with that. So, but it's still really, popped that you had heavy metal toxicity, yeah. despite the fact that it's right. not extensive. You had a, an idea of what was going on in your body yeah. regarding heavy metals. Yeah. And so he does address all of that. And then he found that I had a neurotransmitter deficiency. So he'll test for like kind of what's going on in your brain neurotransmitter wise. And he found that I've been lacking GABA in my brain, which when he told me that and he explained what GABA was, it made so much sense. I've had insomnia and sleeping issues probably very severe since 2017 ish, which again could be related to this. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was, I think it's been all along. Yeah. And so it explained though, the gap, the lack of GABA in my brain explained to me on a bet. I had a better understanding now of why I really couldn't sleep aside from the Lyme too. And then he also found I had some, uh, some sort of infection in one of my teeth. Um, and I did have my wisdom teeth out. There was like a pocket he found so he just treated it. He couldn't give me a lot of details on it, but, and then the, what the last thing he told me was that he can test for how long he's had this. And I asked him to explain that to me a little bit deeper. And he essentially just said, my brain, your brain records that information. Do with that what you will. I don't, I don't know how to explain it any differently than that. Cause that's just what he told me. And he said that I got bit when I was 20 years old, which was in 2015. Cause I am born in the beginning of the year. So in 2015, all of 2015, I was 20 years old in college, in Northern Maine, the middle of nowhere where there's, it's a tick party up there. So that it made a lot of sense. And then it kind of made sense to me. Why? Like, I mean, everyone's situation is different, but then I was like, oh, okay. So that could explain why I got so sick so fast too. Cause some people don't get sick that quickly or, you know, maybe just, we just don't hear about it, but. Oh yeah. Mold exposure too. I mean that. Right. Yeah. The perfect storm truly. I really did. And so yeah. I mean, I know that was a lot, but that's, that's what he diagnosed me with on the first, my first trip to see him. So one of the things that I, you listed a lot of things there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> one of the things that I found really interesting was like the unknown tick diseases. Yeah. Um, which I know, I don't know if you've read the book bitten, but I know she talks about what it, what is, the unknown disease that she talks about in there, Matt. I forget what they call it. Oh, it's Swiss agent. Is that the one you're talking about? Swiss agent. Yes. Yeah, Chris Newby, the author of Bitten. Yep. And I've often wondered, I'm like, is that why a lot of us with Lyme disease become chronic? Is it the Swiss agent? Is it some unknown tick disease? I mean, new diseases are constantly 
coming around. I mean, a new one recently was the Heartland virus that was found in six states. I saw that. So I find that very interesting. Yeah. And so he doesn't put names to them. He just calls it on my paper. It's Lyme virus A, Lyme virus B. They just have numbers. And I think he keeps adding like over years when he starts finding these new things. I think it's just, he just keeps or adding. Or maybe it's it. just like other species of Borrelia. So like Lyme maybe. specifically is Borrelia burgdorferi, but then there's other species of Borrelia, like Borrelia afzeli, Garini, and there's a whole bunch of different ones. So maybe it's a different species of Borrelia that just yeah. haven't been found yet. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is I don't really have any information on those, but that's what we know. Is. We know ticks can carry, you know, I think up to a hundred different pathogens in their gut. Right. So how many things are we getting from a tick bite that we don't even know about to Kelsey's right. point and to your point, Kayla, we're calling them tick disease one, two, three, four, five, because we don't even know what they are yet. Right? right. So what combination of things are going to make us so sick so fast? So was it the mold plus the tick bite? Was it multiple tick bites? And then you got sick finally in 2020. Was it, you know, unknown tick viruses that are going to make even more sick so quickly. So there's so many unknowns when it comes to tick-borne illnesses and chronic Lyme disease that I think yeah. really make us, um, all unique, right? When it comes to treatment and figuring out what's going on in our own situation. But right. you brought up something really, really interesting about the GABA and the neurotransmitters. And I'm fascinated by that because so many people with chronic Lyme disease have never experienced psychological issues like yourself, Kayla, right? And you are a prime example. You know, now you had a lack of GABA. So for those listening, GABA is a neurotransmitter that allows you to be at a state of calm, rest. It allows you to sleep. And it's when your nervous system is in a state of rest and digest. And that's when you're at a calm state, not in fight or flight. And if you're not producing enough GABA, what we learned is we recently interviewed uh, Bob Miller, who's a tick-borne illness genetic specialist. And he taught us that you can have a genetic SNP or a genetic deficiency that doesn't allow your body to properly convert these neurotransmitters. So what happens is you have something called glutamate, which is a neurotransmitter that once, and glutamate is associated with people that are very driven. It makes you very motivated. It gives you energy, but in high quantities, it can cause severe anxiety, depression, overstimulation, and even hallucinations, right? A lot of neurological symptoms. If you have this genetic SNP and Lyme disease, it's sort of, again, adding to the perfect storm where you're not converting the glutamate to GABA, and then you're not being able to relax and you're having these crazy panic attacks. So I wonder if you possibly have this genetic SNP that is not allowing you to convert glutamate to GABA. And that kind of is consistent with what your results showed through LimeStop that you weren't having enough GABA, which is correlated to your psychological symptoms, right? So there's so many right. factors that connect here that I think, you know, it's almost impossible to narrow down exactly how to treat chronic Lyme disease. I mean, what do you think about that with the neurotransmitter side of things and, and understanding the impact that GABA has on allowing you to have a peaceful mind versus glutamate, which causes you to have an anxious mind? So, I mean, just when he told me that and he explained that to me, it made a lot of sense. Um, so like, I do think it's a piece of the puzzle, but again, I don't know what is causing, what was causing that. So like, was it the Lyme that was causing that? Or was it just like this genetic SNP? Like, I don't know that information. Um, so I guess I don't really have a whole lot to say about that piece of it, but it makes sense. And I wasn't able to rest even before I was actively sick. I had a lot of sleeping problems. I had been, I've been on multiple sleeping and anxiety meds to help me sleep, you know, um, over the years. So once he started, he actually, while we were treating, he gave me something that had, I was taking a lot of GABA essentially supplementing with GABA to help support 
which I'm not taking anymore, but I was. And I just think that was another piece of the puzzle. Like I needed that to help support me through that treatment. And I was able to get off. I mean, this, this is now we're going down a different route here, different story, but that anxiety medication that I was taking back in the beginning of my story, I had taken for well over a year, every single day to sleep because I couldn't sleep without it. And it is addictive. Um, and by addressing that piece of the puzzle, I, I've been off of it for months without even a thought of it. So I think for my story, that was huge. So and my opinion, of course, is just a guess, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was twofold for you. Because what we learned from, yeah. from Bob Miller is that oftentimes many people have this genetic snip with the glutamate and the GABA and they manage it until they get Lyme disease and then your body can't manage it. So maybe yeah. you have this genetic snip, you were managing right. it because you were healthy enough and you kept getting bit by tick after tick after tick. You had mm-hmm. mold exposure and now together the Lyme disease caused psych- psychological issues. The glutamate caused psychological issues. And that was just too much for your body to be able to just function with. And then you just crashed, right? And now you have right. to rebuild your body. You have to treat the Lyme using Lyme stop to target your immune system to kill all of the pathogens with Lyme disease, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, et cetera. And then you had to address the GABA deficiency, which you probably had your whole life. And again, it's just a guess, right? right. But right. collectively for you and your story, Kayla, that helped you get to the health that you're at today, which I know is pretty great, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, right. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I have that genetic snip. I don't know, but, right. but I think it was a huge piece in support, like supporting me. Cause I always ask myself, okay, I'm having this symptom or this, symptom. Or I'm not, I'm not sleeping. Right. Or I'm always anxious, but why, 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 why you have to ask yourself, what's the root cause here? So you know, just supplementing with GABA, like wasn't going to be the end all be all, but it, it did support me through that treatment, which I think in turn did help. So. So before Kelsey uh, finishes up and talks to talks to everybody and you about your transformation, what you're doing today, mm-hmm. I mean, and your, and your awesome work on social media and helping the community and giving back, I want to just focus on the present. I mean, in March of 2022, you stopped, you know, the four month regimen of supplements with LimeStop. I mean, yep. you told us on your pre-interview questionnaire that on average, you're about 80% recovered. And on some days you're hundred percent when you're not home because you didn't get mold in your home. Right. So, I mean, you're yep. taking yourself out of the mold. You're pretty much fully recovered at this point. So what is your life like now compared to when you were at your worst and give us an idea of things you're doing today that you never dreamed of doing when you're at your worst and super sick. Yeah. Well, uh, there's just so much. I'm like, where do I start? So after my treatment for a while, I was actually working two jobs and that was wild. I don't, I wasn't even able to work one before, but I just, I I was doing it from home, but I was doing it. Um, I was working a full-time job and a part-time job on the side because during my treatment, I was like, I'm not going out. I'm not going to see anybody. I'm going to keep to myself and focus on my healing. So why not just keep busy? And I was doing it totally fine. I was sleeping a normal amount. I was calling my friends all the time. I was, I just completely transformed. So now that I'm done with that treatment, um, I did have to go back and I was left with only when, you know, when I retested, I was testing for mycotoxins and mold still. Um, and the only Lyme infection he could find was Borrelia in my joints. Uh, and he did retreat it. And I, I, I feel that it has left me. I have not retested yet, but I feel I don't associate with Lyme disease in current times anymore. Um, but when I leave my house, we do know I have mold and I I've done a mycotoxin test separately. I'm addressing that, you know, not through Lyme stuff. That's not really their scope anymore, but I leave my house and I sometimes feel hundred percent better. No brain fog, no joint pain. 
nothing like that. But then when I'm in my house, I do feel a little bit of that. So that's why I say I'm 80% better because I'm doing so much stuff and my personality has completely come back. I'm going to be honest. I've, I've drank alcohol since that treatment. And that's like, I can't believe I did that. I mean, I didn't feel great after, but it wasn't really worth it. But I mean, I'm doing things that I'm like, I never thought I'd be able to do again. Um, I'm, I've already gone on a vacation. I have a couple more trips planned this summer. I'm planning a move. I mean, things that I didn't think I would be able to ever do because I didn't think I would ever be this, this well again. Um, so just that, I mean, just that just normal day stuff. I never thought I'd be able to do again is stuff that I I'm shocked I'd be able to do other stuff that I'm doing that I never thought I'd, I'd be doing. Um, I am currently in a program to become an integrative health practitioner, and I'm hoping to have my goal is to have my own, you know, online practice and see clients on my own. And so eventually I I have such a passion for this now that like, I know that I'm capable of doing, I know I'm capable of doing it and I want to do it. So I know I can take that full time eventually. Um, and so hopefully one day owning my own business, um, I produced a podcast. I mean, I've done so much stuff and I'm on. You're a fellow podcaster. Yeah, but how did I know this about you? <laughs> well, because for various reasons, I have I have a co-host, and for various reasons, uh, because of her health and stuff, we've taken a pause. So I didn't really want to highlight that. <laughs> I didn't want to highlight that because I don't know what's going on with it right now. Um, but yes, I am. <laughs> but I like being the guest better because I feel like I could talk a little more. Um, so I, I mean, I've done I did that all well during this treatment, and I just never I can't even believe how much I I did. And so now I'm, I'm working through this new program and I'm in school again, essentially. And I never thought I'd be, be there again after all the schooling I've done. And I'm just, I'm myself again, honestly, I am myself again. And it's, it's crazy. So just the thought of potentially having a business going and I'm doing, I was doing this podcast. I'm on social media all the time. Um, and I'm chatting with people at least every day, at least once a day, people are in my DMS telling me, you know, asking me for guidance, which, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can only say so much, but asking me for guidance, um, you know, how do I find a Lyme literate doctor? Or how do I, you know, how do I look into Lyme stop or telling me I'm an inspiration to them. And like, I just, I never thought I'd be in that position to be like a mentor and an inspiration for other people. Um, and so I'm just really glad that I was able to do that after everything I just dealt with. So, so I promise I'm chatting. Our, obviously our listeners can't see, but I'm chatting with Kelsey and I'm like, Kelsey, I'm done. And I'm like, I'm sorry. One more question. I'm not done. So, <laughs> this is my final question. I promise before Kelsey I can be here all day. Up. We're fine. So the, the final question I have for you mm-hmm. is talk to us about, I mean, you know, when it comes to, you talk about your, your, your finishing up your studies to become an integrative health practitioner, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you're very smart. You have a bachelor of science in kinesiology and health sciences. You have a master in health administration and health administration. And now you're going on to get your integrative health practitioner certification. So mm-hmm. I know there's so many different things out there and it's overwhelming and confusing to our listeners and to the community, but we know there's like the school of, of um, I think it's called the Trinity Health, right? Where people can get health coaching certifications. They can become yep. uh, Lyme practitioner, Lyme specialist. We, we know somebody else got a Lyme certification from the Trinity School of Health. What is an integrative health you know, practitioner certification in comparison to let's say like a health coach versus a Lyme practitioner? Just give us an idea as to what level of experience, background, yeah. and what you can do in that role as an integrative health practitioner once you complete your certification. Right. So essentially it is a form of health coaching, um, but I will be able to run functional medicine labs. 
So I'll be able to run some labs and read labs for you. Uh, you don't have to do that, but I'm doing that um, extra piece to it to get that extra certification on top of that. Um, so there's like two levels to it. So you can just do kind of basic like health coaching. Um, and the goal is to just get people well. So I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose and I'm not necessarily like treating you. Like I'm not saying, hey, you have Lyme disease, let's treat it. But I am helping you get your toxicity loads down. I'm helping you look at nutrition. I'm helping you get on the right path and looking at labs. And I can kind of come up with protocols, like, like not medication, but supplements and vitamins and based on your lab results. So it's kind of tricky because it's like, you have to be careful. Like I'm not a doctor. We're leaving, you know, we leave the diagnosing to a doctor. Like that's specific for like MDs and NPs and all that. But I can help you get your body in the best state of healing. And a lot of these people that do things like this have been in this situation and have lived it and have tried these protocols and have done these things. So I think that's what's cool about it is you're when you're seeing a doctor, sometimes, you know, they haven't, they've never had that diagnosis or they've never had that illness. So I think it's a lot of people start seeing integrative health practitioners nutritionists and health coaches when they kind of want to take their health into their own hands a little bit. And I think a lot of us have a really great understanding on toxicity loads and looking at the body as a whole in which sometimes you will not get. Um, but again, you know, you have to do what you're comfortable with. And some people are not comfortable going outside of that realm of MDs and that's fine. You have to do what works for you. But my goal after seeing how many people were coming to me, asking me for advice, I'm like, I already have this background in health and nutrition. Like I could just take this to the next level. And I realized I was, I, I've always had a little bit of underlying passion for it. I went to school for kinesiology and health sciences and I loved my degree, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it for so long. And I always thought to myself, even before I was sick, I was like, why are we like treating things, but we are not making lifestyle changes. So this is also something I'll look at, you know, down the road when I have my own clients is, basic lifestyle changes that doctors may not be telling you because I had a friend recently go into her doctor. She has elevated kidney and liver levels. And they just said, yeah, just eat better. Bye. Like, well, what does that mean? Like, you know, so I, I hope to be there to support people through that. Well, that's really great. And I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to help many of people. Thank you, Kelsey. Um, so Kayla, I know that you know that through suffering, you can learn a lot of things and you can have these amazing realizations and epiphanies, spiritual awakenings that you probably wouldn't have had if you didn't go through this experience. So what's one beautiful realization that this journey has taught you? Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things, but I think the power of community is something that I try to focus on every day because I am, I mean, that's how I got to where I am through someone on TikTok who was advocating and talking about it through a, co a cousin's coworker who's advocating. So just the power of, you know, being your own advocate and relying on the community that do understand instead of focusing on the people that don't understand it. And that is, that is you know, people are going to listen to that and be like, that's so much easier said than done. It is. It took me a year and a half to have this realization of like, why am I so focused on trying to force people to understand what I'm going through? I don't want them to understand. I don't want people to be in this position. Well, why don't I don't want that? So they aren't capable of understanding. So I'm going to utilize my community. There are so many people out there. It seems like there aren't because 
of the way Lyme disease, and I mean, this can go for other illnesses. This can go for other things. You don't, you can apply this to any, anything, but Lyme disease specifically, it seems like there's nobody out there that has it, but there actually are so many. You just have to try to utilize your resources and make the connections. If I didn't network and connect with people who understood what I was dealing with, I don't know where I'd be right now. You know, I, I don't know where I'd be. So I think just relying on community and finding, navigating where, where there are people who do understand you in any aspect in life is very important. And so now I try to, I try to look at that and I try to apply that to other pieces of my life now as well, because even though I'm doing better people in my, and I'm, I'm a lot more social, I'm seeing old friends again, I'm seeing people again. They don't really, they have no idea what I just dealt with sometimes, you know? So and I don't focus on that. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just text Kelsey, you know, like, like she does, she does yeah. know. I'll just go listen to take boot camp. Like they know what I'm dealing with. So there's so many people out there, no matter your situation that do get it and do understand. And that kind of helps combat the loneliness of it a little bit too. Yeah, I agree. Community is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Support is so important when you're going through something like this. Um, so now that you're on the other side of things, we already kind of talked about this a little bit, but how are you being called to use your, these new realizations to help the Lyme and chronic illness community? I mean, are you going to focus specifically on Lyme patients? Are you going to focus on people with chronic illness in general? What are your, what are your goals with that? So that's interesting because that's something I'm trying to like work through myself right now is where I want to put my focus. Um, it's funny because a few weeks ago, I found myself a little bit down and depressed about this journey because it can get very heavy when people are messaging you all the time. Like people are, people email me, people are on my TikTok, on my Instagram, and I'm getting messages from all over the place of people. And I'm like, I wish I could help them all. But I mean, currently that is out of my scope. Like, you know, I can't, I, I can do what I can do, but And I was like, this is getting really heavy. Um, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I swear the universe always like kind of smacks me in the face. And I was kind of working uh, with a friend as like a little case study, just kind of directing her on like what types of doctors to see. It could be this, it could be this, just kind of a little tester. And she texted me the other day. I didn't ask her to send me this. And she said, I'm so emotional right now. This is more help than I've gotten after spending thousands of dollars on naturopathic doctors, Western medicine doctors, listing all these doctors that I've been a better help than. And I was like, wow, okay. I know I'm, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to be helping people heal. Um, and so every time I even question myself, I'll get a message from someone being like, you're so inspirational. And I'm like, it's the universe telling me like, stop questioning yourself. Um, but in regards to, if I want to focus just on Lyme, not necessarily, Um, because I think like you just heard my whole story and it's not always just Lyme that there's always something else. So focusing just on Lyme wouldn't really be focusing just on Lyme because when you're focusing on Lyme, you have to focus on everything. So that's kind of like, I can't really just focus on Lyme, but I also do have an interest in other chronic health issues. Like I said, my grandmother had, I watched my grandmother struggle with lupus my whole life, um, before she passed. So, you know, I do have an interest in other things. I also do just have an interest now in lifestyle changes and preventative health and preventing these things. So, uh, I think as I go like forward in my program, I'm, I actually did just start it not that long ago. So I think as I go move on, I'll find, I'll find my groove and find out exactly what I want to do. Um, but I, but I could, you know, promote myself as like, I understand Lyme disease very well. Cause I, I think I do. 
but I also think I don't want to just stick to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so now I have to know, knowing what you know now, if mm -hmm. a loved one came to you with a tick biting them, what would you recommend they do so they would not wind up with chronic Lyme disease? Yeah, well, first of all, understanding how to remove it properly is one thing because that's a big piece of it. I had a friend recently tell me she saw someone remove the tick and just rip it off and half of it stayed in. And I'm like, that's not good. Um, so understanding and educating yourself on how to remove it and just knowing the steps to take. So getting it tested, um, my, where I have done my undergrad at university of Maine, they actually do testing. You can send it in there, um, which is where we think I initially got bit. And I believe, can you send it to iGenics? There's different places you can send in a tick, um, to be tested. And from there they can tell you, was it carrying an infection? Right. So I think also. Um, where I'm from in New England, it's pretty common. If you get tick, they will, they, you get a tick bite. Doctors know to immediately give you antibiotics because for an acute infection, it's said that that works. Um, I didn't have that experience, so I just don't know. Um, and I think understanding how to boost your immune system, maybe help, help, help boosting your body during a time of a tick bite would be good as well. Um, there's just so many steps you can take to prevent it from escalating to the point where it has for you and I, Kelsey, and, and all of us. So there, yeah, I mean, long story short, I would just get the tick tested, make sure you're removing it properly and taking the, the preventative steps in regards to antibiotics or herbs or whatever you choose to do, or your doctor helps you do. Well, Kayla Stevens, thank you so much for joining our Tick Bootcamp podcast and sharing so much with our audience. We know they're going to benefit. And I personally have already benefited from all of your knowledge. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Kayla Stevens. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kayla, please visit her on Instagram or TikTok at Kayla Rose Wellness. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of your choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you as always for listening.